Welcome everyone to Tamriel Adventures, a show that brings you information from all across the far reaches of Tamriel. I'm your host, Eric A.K. Siliora, and um, I'm going to start this off by apologizing for the background noise right now. Apparently there's somebody outside working on a bit of landscaping since the last couple of days have been really warm, uh, considering, you know, that we've had some nasty snow recently. But uh, today we are going to be talking about one of the, I guess you'd say, fun Daedra um, with Sanguine. Um, he's got a couple of my favorite quests in the games, and we'll get into that in a little bit. But before we get to that, there is a little bit of news, not a ton. Um, First off, there is apparently a massive Stadia sale going on right now for Elder Scrolls Online. I'm not sure exactly when this sale ends, but as of right now, you can get ESO on Google Stadia for $6, um, if you so choose. I wouldn't, I don't know, it, it's Stadia, but um, hey, you know, there you go. Also included in this sale is a free demo for Chorus. Um, it's a game I'm not really familiar with, but the graphic here looks really cool. And to be completely honest, that's really all the news that I see for ESO right now. Um, Elder Scrolls in general, there's a couple of patch notes with Elder Scrolls Blades um, where they've got some event quests going on. And actually, that looks like it's pretty old. Um, there's a monthly modder. Um, that's also old. So, yeah, that's really it as far as the Elder Scrolls news. We're just waiting on the first DLC for the Breton story to come out. So... Um, I think I mentioned this in the last episode, but there's an article here on Ghost Warrior Tokyo, how it is coming out in on on March 25th, and you can watch a trailer for it, and unfortunately it's a PS5 and PC exclusive right now. I can't wait until it comes to Xbox in a couple of years, if it does, hopefully it will. They haven't said anything about it, but I would imagine it would at some point once the exclusivity deal ends but i think the biggest bethesda news that has gone out lately is about starfield so there's more information about starfield that is out right now um yeah that's um that's really about it as far as the news here let's see what this starfield news is and my Little Khajiit needs to learn to quit interrupting. He's being obnoxious right now, but, you know, what can you... What else can you say about pets? So, yeah, there is a new trailer that is out right now, and I think that they have said that they want this to feel a little bit more grounded in reality for what a space game is. Like, they want it to be, like, what it would be once we start exploring space and i think that's kind of cool it's a little bit of a spin on the sci-fi genre stick although i know of at least a tv show that has done that recently so um there is you know as far as the you know mods they they always like to highlight mods there's one for fallout 4 called select rapid minigun and 
there is one for Skyrim called Winstad Mine, um, which I'd be interested in that. Hey, I'm always up for new locations and quests. But really, there's not a lot of news out right now. Um, I'm sure there will be more character highlights and just more information about High Isle as it gets closer to the release date. And my cat is still begging for attention. Um, as far as gameplay, I honestly haven't played a lot. Um, I've played, I've been continuing ESO, the Ebonheart Pact quest. I am, am now, um, I, I just finished up dealing with Almalexia in the Deshaun story. And she sent me to another location in Deshaun. Um where there's a town being overrun by ghosts so you gotta figure out what's going on with that um yeah just continuing the dish the uh Ebonheart pact story i need to do more of the dark brotherhood but i know uh miri hates that but eh what can you do um yeah other than that i played some fallout new vegas you can check out my gameplay uh, for that in the next episode of the fallout feed that comes out on friday and i guess the main reason why i haven't played a lot on my xbox right now is that i recently picked up pokemon legends arceus arceus i'm not sure how exactly to say that and i've been playing a ton of that and you can look for my gameplay of that in the next episode of Nintendo that'll come out in the next week or so. Um, it's going to be about Nintendo's beginnings, about how they started as a playing card company and grew to what we know today. So, yeah, I guess um, let's just go ahead and get into what we're here for, and that is Sanguine. Alright guys, so let's talk Sanguine. Now this is going to be a fun one. Um, not that there aren't fun things about the other Daedric Princes, but Sanguine is known for just wanting to have fun. Um, some of my favorite quests in these games are Sanguine's uh, Daedric quests, so let's get into it. So Sanguine, known to his worshippers as the Lord of Revelry, blood made pleasure and he who tastes the shaven fruit <laughs> that's an interesting name there he who takes uh, data prince whose sphere is hedonistic revelry debauchery wild orgies and passionate indulgences of darker natures as the Daedric Prince of Lust, perversity, unnatural sexual relations, and anything in excess is his motto. Sanguine is depicted as a portly man with a Dremora-like head and horns. That is not how he looks in Skyrim, which is one of the few times you get to see him in person, but hey, we'll go with that. And he usually is shown as having a bottle in his hand or a floor under his thumb. Okay. He is thought to control thousands of small realms, and he is known to be allied with Vermina, while his enemies are Ebonarm, the House of Debella, the, and the Benevolence of Mara. His summoning day coincides with Heart's Day, which is the 16th of Sun's Dawn. Sanguine has a reputation among the mortals for not being as bad as the other dated princes, and is more likely than most princes to take interest in mortal affairs. 
Yeah, I, yeah, he kind of does. Some see him as harmless, as a harmless introvert, or introvert drunk, due to his ongoing nature and his, or his outgoing nature, and his propensity for partying and drinking alcohol. In spite of his vulgar nature, many consider Sanguine one or one of the more sophisticated dating princes. Uh, that's not how I see him, but hey, okay. He is described by Lyrant to be one of the weaker princes whose uh, those who worship him or appreciate his nature claim that Sanguine has never hurt anyone maliciously. Uh, by the way, Lyrant is the Dramora that you deal with quite a bit in ESO, the quote-unquote friendly Dramora female that you deal with in quite a bit in ESO. She was part of the um, Deadlands deals or uh, chapter and uh, among others so sanguine enjoys playing pranks on others and he is reputed for throwing the best parties in oblivion and celebrates at the drop of a hat one instance of these spontaneous celebrations is the 400th anniversary of sanguine's dog warning to play quote-unquote undead which occurs sometime in the second era of 182 sometime around there all matter of entertainment can be found at Sanguine's parties, such as stage plays, orgies, bardic concerts, dancing, skooma, arena fights, and of course, refreshments. Food and drink are usually present, but Malakath is not. Yeah, that doesn't surprise me. So you get the general idea of what Sanguine is like. He just uh, loves having a good time, whatever that means. Bottom, you know, just any way he can have a good time, that is what he wants in life. So let's talk about how certain cultures view Sanguine. So let's start with the Khajiit. So Sanguine is known as to the Khajiit as Sangin and S-A-N-G-I-I-N, the blood cat. The blood god of the second litter, or the god of death and secret murder. So it says here, according to the writings of Amandro, Sangin is not evil by nature, but his sphere distracts Khajiit from the path. His sphere encourages people to seek out urges of blood and pleasure with purpose. Sanguine's Midnight is the term for both where both moons are dark and the crimson paw polishes is used during this time. His worship is hidden from the cat's eye, Magris. He has prayed to the secrecy in forbidden shrines. Sanguine grants those born under the sign of the serpent the gift of swift mending. Wrist sheaths crafted from black leather have prayed have prayers to Sanguine written with metallic ink on the inside. The trickster god Rajin is said to have had a drinking contest with Sanguine. Uh, we all know how that goes, and I'll talk about that in a little bit here. But it says here that it is alleged that Sanguine is the one who gave the Khajiit the secret wine by spilling blood of the grapes. Interesting. He is said to tempt Khajiit by making their flesh immortal. Though the, of darker nature, they are still drawn by his promise of filling their cups and tasting life as Sanguine desires. There exists a number of Khajiit vampire clans that worship the Sanguine, 
so the promise of immortality likely entail being given the gift of vampirism. The clan bind their spines in leather and gird their loins as Sanguine does before a temptuous knight. <laughs> okay. Vampire clans who are devoted to Sanguine and perform blood sacrifices, of course, their thralls may be driven to kill themselves to bring forth a hemohilot, an orb of blood used in rituals or empower or to empower vampires. Powerful vampires can use blood magic to summon the blood specters and may do so while invoking Sanguine's name. Sanguine worshippers, yeah, here's a, a new article or a new part of the article here on their uh, how he's worshipped. So, sanguine worshippers drink and dance and make love to honor him. That sounds pretty apropos, I guess. They may wear red lipstick to proclaim their dedicated commitment to passion and breed goats with eldritch to glowing eyes to partake in their daedric rituals. Some worship sanguine because they drink, they think normal life is too boring and they would simply rather be partying than going to work or being with their families. I, I know some people like that too. He inspires perversions in the wild and meek to seek illicit pleasures. During particularly heinous sanguinary feasts, revelers wear their masks, but in scenarios where their identity can be seen, they are willing to assassinate any unveiled guests who witness them. Yeah, no witnesses, I guess, or no proof. Attendants of the Temple of Debella may also be invited to their parties for extra company. You know, that doesn't shock me at all. <clears throat> Cyrodiil, um, in Cyrodiil, those who speak with Sanguine usually offer a bottle of Cyrodiil brandy to one of the shrines. Yes, you do. In Elenhir, the youth of the gentry give each other, give each other licitious that's an interesting word. Um, presence during the Satralia, which um, we'll talk about that here in a second. And they uh, are they uh, dare to they, they dare the recipients into lascivious behavior, though the giver's name is never revealed. It is up to each recipient to guess their who their secret sanguine was. It is not difficult to find worshippers of Sanguine during the holiday carnival, a prompto of carnal and carnival. So let's talk about Satruvelia. So it says here, it's a Breton celebration that heralds the New Life Festival. Okay, so the New Life Festival happens every year in ESO, and it's a, it's a nice little party. And it's held the 25th of evening star. Originally a holiday for the god of debauchery, it has become a time of gift-giving, parties, and parading. Visitors are often encouraged to participate. So, yeah, um, that's something that goes on every year in ESO. So it uh, kind of happens around the holidays. And, yeah, it's a good time. So definitely check it out the next time it is up in ESO. So here's a little bit about the Aeliads. So the Aeliads uh, see Sanguine as the blood-made pleasure. 
Those from the kingdoms that worship the more malevolent daedric princes were known to indulge in the pleasures of art torture, such as flesh sculpting and gut gardening. Jesus Christ. <clears throat> an, Iliad, an ancient Iliad manuscript of Eldhall, the inducer, describes him being overseen and guided by Sanguine in these heinous arts, particularly in the creation of the messenger Beast Redeemed. And it said here that Reachmen have no use for princes such as Sanguine and Clavicus Smile. So there you go. So let's see what Sanguine has done in recorded history. Here's a little note here that says the term Sanguine usually means crimson or blood red liquid. And it says here that the definition of the word is actually based off of Sanguine's name as the names of Daedric Princes predate the concepts they connect. So it's kind of an interesting concept here. So it says here, King Hale the Pyrus, or Pius introduced four of the Daedric Princes to written record almost a thousand years after the publication of the Alessian Doctrines. In one of its transit, or tracates, I, I don't know what that word is, but it's it. Um, when he wrote that the wickedness of his political enemies was comparable to the depravity of Sanguine. So I guess that's one of the first mentions of Sanguine in recorded history here, and it says during the reign of Raymond Cyrodiil, records indicate that Sanguine resided in the White Gold Tower, where he is said to have helped Raymond with the dubious draftsmanship of the Crindali Festivalis. So, yeah, he helped plan parties, which uh, doesn't shock me at all. In Second Era 582, which of course is the events of ESO, several Aldmeri Dominion spies entered Sanguine's Desmedsnen and drank from Sanguine's goblet, binding them to the party and rendering them unable to escape. So that same year, Sanguine was recognized as a public menace by authorities in Stormhold, and a bounty was placed out for his cultists. So Stormhold citizens knew to stay away from the nearby Temple of Sanguine, and when the dragon Sothrox, or Saratnox, Saratnox, I think that's the best I can do with that. Dragon names are hard. Uh, Saratnox crashed into the Moongrave Fane, and the Holofang clan considered it both a great boon from Sanguine and performed many rituals in his name to prepare feasting upon the dragon's blood. So sometime before the Oblivion Crisis, Martin Septim was involved in Sanguine's cult and obtained Sanguine's Rose. So that is an interesting little tidbit there. And the only way you really find that out is in the main quest of Oblivion, you need to obtain a Daedric artifact and give it to Martin to have it destroyed as part of the ritual of finding a way to Mangar Cameron's paradise. And if you give him Sanguine's Rose, he mentioned that he once held that artifact. And yeah, he did. So that's um, basically him saying, yeah, I used to be a Sanguine um, worshiper. So there you go. So, the forbidden knowledge of Daedric magic he had gained from the cult, however, was, an, it was instrumental in bringing about the end of the crisis. In 2nd Era, I'm sorry, 3rd Era 433, he enlisted the hero of Kavach to sabotage an excruciatingly uptight party. Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get into this here in a little bit. Um, uh, so, yeah, 
Actually, you know what? Let's go ahead and talk about it. So, this, uh, the Daedric quest in Oblivion, you, you know, of course, give him Cyrodiilk brandy and whatever you need to at his shrine. And he tells you that the Countess of Leowen is about to have a party. And her parties are always super boring. So he wants you to go there and liven it up. And so what you do is you find a way to gain access to the party. He gives you party clothes and all that stuff. Well, actually, you need to... I don't think he gives you the clothes, but you need to dress appropriately for the party. Otherwise, they won't really let you in. So you can kind of schmooze your way into the party. And you have to wait a little bit. And everybody's just going around having boring conversations. And you have to wait till everybody is actually at the party. So Sanguine gives you a spell that you only have for this one quest, unfortunately. I wish that you were able to still have this afterward because it's pretty damn hilarious. So you wait till everybody's there and then you go to the middle of the party to make sure everybody is affected by the spell. And you use the spell Stark Reality and it blows everybody's clothes off. So, of course, you know, unless you're wearing, you have a mod, then, you know, they're still wearing nightwear. If you have a mod, then they're probably stark naked. And everybody's running around screaming, and everybody's going nuts, and the guard comes in and arrests you, and he takes you back to jail, and you can do your time, or, you know, whatever. Or you may, if you, you probably can just pay your bounty, whatever. So you go back to the shrine to get your reward, and Sanguine is laughing his ass off, and he gives you all your stuff, um, because, you know, of course, you would lose all your stuff, but, yeah, he gives you your stuff back, and, you know, it, it's just hilarious. Um, and the Countess's name is Alessia Caro, and, yeah, that is one of my favorite quests in Oblivion. One of the other, um, favorite quest that I have is going to be talked about in the next episode and it's Shea Gorath's quest in Oblivion. His um, Daedra quest, not part of uh, Shimmering Isles. But next we come to one of my favorite quests in Skyrim. And it, of course, happens in 4th Era 201 and it's basically the Elder Scrolls version of The Hangover. So you go into a tavern, what, what, whatever, and there's a Breton there. You know, it it doesn't really matter which tavern it is. Just once you get to an appropriate point in the game, there's some Breton who challenges you to a drinking contest, and his name is Sang. I'm sorry, Sam Guivine. So that right there should be a tip that this is actually sanguine. But yeah, he challenges you to a drinking contest, and if you win, he gives you a staff. That's all he says. And yeah, he, he's just kind of dressed like a monk. Like, he's just wearing a robe and, you know, very unassuming. And then you wake up, and a priestess of Debella is screaming at you. You know, you, you win, and then you black out. And you wake up, and this priestess of Debella is screaming at you because you destroyed her um, chapel. So you're in, um, I want to say you're in Markarth. Yeah, you end up in Markarth. 
And as the quest goes on, you find more and more about what happened the night before. And so, yeah, it's, it's basically the Elder Scrolls version of The Hangover. So you destroy a chapel, you just trash a chapel, and you marry a hag raven, and you buy the ring from, I want to say it's um, Isolde in Whiterun. And it's just, you know, instance after instance of just hilarity. And you find out that, yeah, Sam Guevine was actually sanguine. And you do go to a pocket realm of his realm of oblivion, and he does give you Sanguine's Rose. And you're like, why the hell did he do all this? And, you know, did you have any idea about what was going to happen? And he's just like, you know, one thing about me is I don't plan things very well. I, d I don't put a lot of thought into things. I just kind of do things. So, yeah, it, it's a great quest. If you haven't played it, definitely check it out. If you haven't played the Oblivion one, definitely check that one out also. So, we've mentioned Sanguine's Rose. Let's talk about his uh, artifacts that you can find. So, there's one called Death Dealer's Feet. And F-E-T-E. And the Death Dealer's Feet is a signet, a signet ring associated with Sanguine. The ring is cursed, allowing one to hear and glimpse some of some revelry in the dead of night full of laughter and anguished screams. Its enchantment, es escalating feet, invigorates the wielder during con conflicts, increasing higher and longer the they are locked in combat. Higher the longer they are locked in combat. Its intended purpose is believed to, to be for preventing exhaustion when performing sort of rigorous activity Sanguine's followers partake in. So combat. Hmm. I wonder if there's more than one type of combat that that would help you with. I don't know. So it is believed to have been forged in the mid-first era, and like most rings of that time, has a crude fastening system with heavy-handed smithing that makes this, its silver prongs near unbreakable. The artifact's power comes from various components that make up the ring's anatomy, and the prongs themselves serve as conduits for siphoning magicka. They hold the center stone, an excessively huge and asymmetrical blood-red ruby that is warm to the touch and resonates with great power. The ring's shank is designed for discomfort as it features minuscule barbs. That really sucks. This design choice is also pre present with the other rings that Sanguine gives to mortals that attend his parties. So basically, he's getting blood out of you, is, like, is what this means. These rings were enchanted to unexpectedly unexpectedly tighten to prevent exhaustion, though it's unknown if the feat itself has this enchantment. The base contains a faded inscription which, when touched, inspires reckless indulgence, and the bridge was sculpted to resemble a fanged maw. Its open spaces are thought to have once held jewels. So this ring, I'm not sure which game, ring, which game this is in here. Okay, so I found that the ring is actually in Elder Scrolls Online, and you can find it with the Antiquity system. So I am gonna have to look about look into that. I, like I said, I've never even knew about this ring. So yeah, that, uh, there you go. So let's talk about the threads of the web spinner. So the threads of the web spinner are 27 extravagant 
enchanted clothing, so 27 pieces of extravagant clothing and jewelry associated with both Mafala and Sanguine. So the story goes that Mafala sought to reward her devoted followers within the Morak Tong and turned to Sanguine to create them. So each thread enhances a single skill, such as weapons, skills, speechcraft, and magic. So let's talk about what he is best known for is the artifact that he's best known for and that is Sanguine's robes. So it's a Daedric artifact created by Sanguine and it can take many forms including that of an actual rose but more often than not you see it as a, a staff that has a rose at the end. So that's how I've seen it mostly. So Although powerful, the rose is not an artifact much with care to possess because it's got a random effect on it. So it'll summon some random, usually it's a Daedra, uh, like a Dramora or something like that. And in, I want to say in Oblivion, I didn't keep it because whatever it summons would typically attack me. So in Skyrim, it's a little bit different. They'll actually fight for you. So the Daedra, the Dramora, whatever it summons will actually fight for you. Maybe it was just a random encounter where I guess, it, yeah, it says here that uh, lesser Daedra will sometimes attack you. But uh, the Daedra is uncontrollable, unlike those summoned by Conjuration. But as with Conjured Creatures, it is only bound to the mortal plane temporarily. So yeah, it'll eventually disappear. Um, like I said, I usually keep it on me in Skyrim because it never really... They, like, they, I've never been attacked by a Dromora that is summoned by Sanguine's Rose in Skyrim. But who knows, maybe it does happen. If it's happened to you, let me know. So it says, each time the rose is used, it wilts a little, and when all the petals fall off it loses its power when this happens a new rose blooms somewhere in oblivion and is plucked by sanguine to be given to another champion i have never noticed that um maybe that's a way to know if it's if it needs recharged i'm not sure so here's a bit about his realm of oblivion it's called the myriad realms of revelry so these are congenery or conjuries of 100,000 pocket and sub-realms of oblivion created and ruled over by the Prince of Indulgence, Sanguine. The realms are used mainly as pleasure pockets, <laughs> pleasure pockets, uh, refashioned to meet the needs and desires of its visitants. As such, Sanguine himself has very little control over them. So, the one you see in Skyrim is called the, Myst uh, the Misty Grove. So it just kind of looks like a little um, meadow or what have you in the woods. So I guess that is one of a hundred and hundred thousand. So it just mentions here. There's not a whole lot here about it. It just mentions when you visit it in Skyrim. Um, it's called the Misty Grove. Misty Grove. Uh, it's a misty mist-filled copes of trees crossing a burbling stream and path with a small stone bridge leading to an outdoor tavern so yeah um not a whole lot about 
his realms of oblivion. Um, hopefully we'll visit them again in future games. But yeah, that um, it's mentioned. There's a little blurb here about some of his servants. Uh, there's a variety of Daedra known to serve Sanguine. Among them are Ogrim, Dramora, Dark Seducers, Bankin, and Scamps. The Ogrims serve as bouncers at his parties. Uh, <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, Sanguine's, or Sanguine's thirst is known to manifest as bloody specters resembling Khajiiti gargoyles. And blood can be animated into the form of orbs known as hemohelots, or moving coagulant slimes. So, yeah, um, there's some pictures here of what Sanguine looks like. He looks completely... He looks a little bit different in Daggerfall. Um, there's a picture of him in this blue robe. He just looks like a bald red elf uh, with a staff of a, that looks like a naked woman. And he's got his right foot up on a skull that looks like Molag Ball's skull, to be honest. Um, there's a picture here of a sanguine seagull, um, guessing that's in ESO. And there's a, a goat that looks like it, it's got glowing red eyes, and apparently it's bred to take part in his rituals. So, yeah, um, it, when you see him in Skyrim, he kind of looks like a Remora. He doesn't look like a portly, you know, Daedra. But, yeah, that is really it as far as, uh, Sanguine. So, the picture here, there's also a picture here of the threads of the web spinner. They look like claws and sandals and whatnot. Um, so yeah, that's it as far as Sanguine. Uh, like I said, one of my, uh, I guess, uh, more, the more fun Daedra. Uh, I really enjoy his quests and... In uh, the games, they make me laugh. Uh, but yeah, next up, we'll talk about another one that makes me laugh, and that is Sheogorath. But I might do Sheogorath in two parts, because there's two parts to Sheogorath. There's Sheogorath himself, and then there's Jigalag. Um, depending on how much there is with Jigalag, I might just do it in one part. I don't think there's a lot to do with Jigalag, because he's very he's not very present in the games people know quite a bit about Shankwrath and Jiglag to be honest is a little bit of a mystery but we will get to that next episode so I'd like to thank the Hive as always for sponsoring this podcast and this one has been a little a little eventful trying to record this or a little difficult um I've been told that it's not one of my podcasts unless my pets get involved and they certainly did with this episode you probably heard my cat purring and making noise at one point my dog uh, her head got caught on my microphone cord and she nearly pulled the damn thing off of my desk um, that was interesting but hey you know what i work around it so yeah um as i said i'd like to thank the hive for sponsoring this podcast like to get a hold of me you can find me on twitter and instagram my personal page is iangold08 my uh, show's page is at tamrielp and you can also find my other shows there is nintendo where we talk about all things nintendo and i recently uh, recorded an episode and published an episode on 
the history behind the Nintendo PlayStation and the fallout of that. And then there is Tapes from the Waste, where we have a, an episode coming out any day now on the Brotherhood of Steel. And that's about Fallout Wars, so definitely go check those out wherever you get your podcasts. And stay tuned for the next episode. Like I said, we are going to be talking about Papa Sheo and Jigalap. So, as always, stay safe, adventurers. Thank you.